Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch and discuss a drive-in double feature randomly selected from a list of over 1,700 movies. I am your host, Patrick, and I'm joined, as usual, by my host... Jimothy, hello. There he is. Okay, Jim, <laughs> good to have you again. We didn't have you good last back, week buddy. in the return from our mid-season hiatus because I had my buddy Josh on again. But now we're back for more Bond as we're talking Goldfinger and we're talking Takashi Miike's Dead or Alive from 1999. So, interesting double feature. Two pretty Very. different movies, which <laughs> is going to be true of every double feature that falls a Takashi Miike film, I'm sure. But yeah, any, any thoughts to lead off? You know what? I was actually surprised. I mean, I don't want to give spoilers away to my thoughts at the end, but I'm going to. Uh, I was surprised by how well this double feature paired. Yeah, I know you. You're, you're always just looking, oh, are, are they the same genre? Okay, sure, it's a good double feature. And, and then like when it's not, it's, you're just like, yeah, these two movies suck together. It's like, use, use some imagination. Oh, I'm not saying I disagree with you here, but I'm just like, yeah, that's like I did. always your first thing. Are they the same genre? They kind of are here. I mean, it's a spy action versus like a Yakuza they kind of gangster are. kind of gun-fu action, but they're both action movies, sure. Yeah, then at the end it turns into like Naruto, and I'm, you know, I'm down with that. I'm digging. I don't know what I'm that means, what okay. That's okay. All you weebs out there, you got me. All right, Jim, you want to start us off with Goldfinger? So, Goldfinger, 1964, directed by, uh, who is it, Guy, what's his name? Hamilton. Guy Hamilton, thank you. And he directed four Bond movies, Goldfinger, our personal favorite, Patrick, Diamonds Are Forever, e. Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. So not- Okay, so he's two for four, basically. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Live and Your Let Die. Golden Gun's not great. Live and Let Die is pretty good, though. Exactly, yeah. Diamonds Are Forever is utter trash <laughs> how how dare you but i agree and uh yeah then he directed a bunch of other movies that i never saw except uh the battle of britain this movie like our past james bond movies that we've covered stars sean connery and nobody else who's really noteworthy to be honest lots of british actors let, let me think here i mean we do have is, is it pronounced honor it's spelled like honor, like like how Americans yeah. would spell yeah, it's the word honor. honor. Is it Honor Blackman? Yeah. Because she's yeah. another Avengers actress, just like Diana Rigg from Theater of Blood. So she's not like a complete nobody, but I'm trying to think who else. Do we have anyone else significant in here? No, I tried to look And I'm up like, the... okay, yeah, I, I don't. The guy who plays Felix I've never seen. I do recognize the, um, I don't even know if he has a name, but the Chinese guy is uh kato from the pink panther movies with peter sellers is bert no he isn't is is, uh like uh what was the character's name was it mr ling or whatever the guy who had the bomb yeah he's just some chinese guy he's like the bomb expert guy he's the (laughs) chinese red china i love that they have to specify it's red china because this is the era of taiwan is the is the republic of china and china is the red china the people's republic of china (laughs) it's just i love it yeah, it's great. It's great. I love this kind of like outdated way of speaking about different countries. And and the outdated smacking of women's asses when like, uh, hey, leave us alone, men talk or guy talk or whatever. Yeah, well, here's the thing about this movie. I think that when most people think about how racy, sexual, misogynistic okay. James Bond is, they think about this movie specifically. 
I don't disagree. I will say, I will say this movie has the worst aged line of dialogue in film history, and it has nothing <laughs> to do with misogyny. We'll get to that line, but it is just like aged like fine milk, you know? It's just like one of those lines. It's just like, oh my God, they, they should be ashamed of themselves. Like uh, in this movie, Sean Connery as Bond oozes so much like charisma and just like sex, like sexuality i guess that i think this is what i would call the classic bond movie this is my favorite classic bond movie like if i had to break them into two categories it would be new bond and classic bond sure this is firmly at the top of the list of classic bond firmly at the top of the list of new bond is skyfall okay i'm a big skyfall fan you know yeah, you know and both movies are at tops of their respective lists for completely different reasons but this is classic Bond. This is what you look yeah. for in a James Bond movie. You got gadgets, girls, Bond being a badass, Bond banging women, <laughs> Bond slapping women around. <laughs> the goofy sidekick villain, I think, is a huge thing in James Bond movies that we've kind of lost over time. But the Jaws, the Odd Job, yeah. the Knickknack, those characters yeah. are classic but uh, oh, and what else do we have? We've got the uh, we've got the villain who's actually a pretty like he's got a weird plan, but it kind of makes sense. And he's just a I cool, like his also plan. charismatic villain. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't really have globe trotting. Like I remember every time we talk about James Bond, we reference like um, a list of yours. Remember, you're like, does it have globe trotting? Does it have beautiful women? Does it have? Okay, well, whatever? hang on, hang, hang on. You're you're confusing this with my Friday the Thirteenth list, okay? And and I understand why you're confused because I did not bust that out for our Friday the Thirteenth Part Three discussion because I was just done with that movie and I don't <laughs> want to talk about it anymore. So I understand your confusion, but okay, no, way back when, and I referenced this on because we did a commentary track, Patreon.com/slash Revenge of the Drive, and for Doctor No, and I talked about how we actually recorded two different times for that Dr. No and Shocker episode. And it was because there were audio issues on my end, and then also Sean Connery died. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, we should probably address this too because it's going to be coming out soon. Anyways, I remember in the the final episode, you referenced something about me saying that the James Bond formula isn't really established or perfected until Goldfinger. Mm Mm-hmm. In the final episode, we, there was nothing about me saying that. It was just you brought up that I said that, but it, and that was because in the original episode, we, had, you and I actually had this conversation. And the You're reason right, I, I am think, confused. The reason I think Goldfinger is like the standard bearer for all that came be, came after it is the gadgets are a little more unrealistic. Like, we got a few gadgets in from Russia with Love, but it wasn't really, like, high-tech stuff. It was, like, a briefcase mm-hmm. that shoots gas if you open it wrong or something. I mean, it was, like, it was all, like, stuff that you could do at a science fair. And here, it's just, like, yeah, you know, we've got cars that shoot bulletproof glass, all that stuff. We've got the, the goofy side villain, which I, I that's one of my favorite things in James Bond. I love Oddjob. He's my second favorite. I prefer Jaws. There's also... Because, like, the Bond girl and stuff, that that's established in Dr. No, for sure. But yeah. I think a big thing is this is the first real full integration of the Bond song, which I actually didn't remember. I, I, I had thought that the song, because I knew there was a From Russia With Love song, I thought that was featured in the opening credits. It wasn't. 
mm-hmm. but we have here the Goldfinger theme. And then I think even the big, the bigger thing is we get this pre-title sequence action scene that ultimately has nothing to do with the plot, where Bond does something awesome. We had sort of a version of that in From Russia with Love, except it actually had to do with the plot, and it wasn't Bond doing something awesome. It was the villain doing something awesome. It was like a fake-out thing. Yeah. But that's a big thing here. That's This establishes yeah. that. And then in, in modern Bond, they've, they've changed a little bit. Now they kind of have something to do with the plot, these opening scenes, but like classic Bond just it there it's just a short film that precedes the film basically well and then also with this bond you also have Sean Connery being extremely almost sickeningly witty like he's dropping yes. one liners like left and right and he's trying to be yes. like, funny with more with, with more consistent success than he had had in the in the previous films i would say he had some bad one liners in, in from Russia with love he had like a line or two that was great yeah this movie has the best one liner i've ever heard in a, in a bond movie and that's well i'll get i'll get to it in a second but well, um, okay I, I know which one it is then i think like doctor no with james bond they were dipping their toes in the water trying to get a feel for it from Russia with Love, they had, like, submerged the body. And they're like, this is the prototype. And then Goldfinger, they nailed the formula. Yeah. I think they nailed the pacing as well, for the most part. I think there's one scene that kind of drags. I agree. I think from I think that's ultimately the biggest difference between this and From Russia with Love. I think From Russia with Love is an excellent film, just about as good as Goldfinger. I think the real difference is the pacing. From mm-hmm. Russia with Love, it's like a slow burn until, like, the last... 30 or 40 minutes is like nothing but action and here the action is a lot more spread out yeah and you get a lot you get a lot of story that is seen through both bond's eyes and the villain's eyes you're not just following bond throughout the whole thing it's you're sometimes on bond you're sometimes on goldfinger you're sometimes on felix and i think that's what also makes it interesting i'm just gonna say i don't think felix adds anything to this movie i think this is one of the weakest felixes in the series yeah, I don't like the actor. I mean, it's like an older actor or it's like an older version of the character. And he has a few lines that like, it, it's, they're trying to like imply a friendship there between him and Bond where they go way back. And it's like, yeah, we've seen Felix before, but those, a- the actors just don't have chemistry together. And then when he goes like, oh, that's my James, it just, it just, it feels hollow. It just, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, let's get into it, I guess. But after our crappy gun barrel opening with fake Sean Connery shooting at the screen, we get, and I saw what you post on Instagram, (laughs) we get one of the best costumes in James Bond history. And I think they're in Cuba or Mexico, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, it's just, it doesn't mean he's somewhere, he's he's somewhere foreign, but he's he's scuba diving, but with a (laughs) duck on his head. (laughs) It's great. It's great. And, it actually, and it actually looks passable. That's the that's the I know. Part. Yeah, it's great. It's a great disguise, and I love how stupid it is. So he rips the waterfowl helmet off his head. He pulls out a grappling hook and scales a wall. He takes out a guard, and he sneaks into this storage facility and lays like plasticine explosives on like these explosive barrels. And then he heads to a bar. Actually, sorry, he rips his like scuba gear off, and he's wearing oh, yeah, white he's got tux. The, yeah, <laughs> a classic. Bond, white tux, and he throws a red carnation in the lapel, and he walks into a bar uh, where this beautiful woman's dancing. He sets the explosives off, and everybody's like running in terror, and he just walks up to the bar to order a drink, pretty much. This is my possibly my favorite scene in any Bond movie, 
<laughs> and after uh, after he kind of gets the attention of this woman, or I guess he just decides to follow her from the bar, this exotic dancer, he goes into this back room where she's in the bath, and he's going to hop in with her. He takes his gun off, hangs it up. He starts making out with her because that's what real men do. But he sees in the reflection of her eye <laughs> that there's a guy behind him who's about to club him over that. the head. <laughs> yeah, I love so, the creativity of that shot. It's great. It's fantastic. So he turns this woman around. She gets clubbed. He scuffles with this man, really. It's not a great fight scene, but he flips him over into the tub. And as the guy's laying there in the tub, all soapy, he's reaching for Bond's gun that he just hung up. And he just, like, <laughs> smacks a fan into the tub yeah. and electrocutes the guy and kills him. Thankfully, goes, it's a long cord. It, I know, smacks, right? Yeah. That thing is not that close to the top. He just, like, smacks yeah. it over there. And then he says, uh, shocking. <laughs> and he turns to the woman who's just, like, waking up from her concussion. And he looks at her and he goes, positively shocking. And he, like, throws his tux back on and leaves. Yeah. And then the beautiful brass horns of this John Barry Orchestra slash Shirley Bassey Orchestra kicks in or whatever. We get yeah, a and fantastic song. song and great opening credit sequence, which is like a little oh, clip it's, it's show fantastic. of upcoming moments in the movie, as well as some moments from previous movies, because they show yeah. the helicopter scene from From yep, Russia, from with, Russia Love. with Love. But yeah, it's a fantastic song. Shirley Bassey's got like it's a, a top perfect... five Bond theme. It It's probably a top, for me anyways, it's probably a top two. I'm a big uh, View to a Kill yeah. Duran Duran fan. I think that song's amazing. Oh, great I, song. I'd probably put that as my number one, but this is up there. I think Shirley Bassey did two other songs, right? Diamonds Are Forever and Diamonds Moonraker. Are Forever and Moonraker. Yeah. Not, neither of them were as good D- as... Diamonds uh, Are Forever is a good, good song. Gold Moonraker gold. is one of the most forgettable ones, I think. I, th- I think it's, it's up there with like... Um, was it the Octopussy song is like that almost like smooth yes. jazz song, yeah. All Time High? Yeah. I think that's probably the most forgettable. I think Moonraker Oh, yeah. Is that Octopussy? Or is that the, the Spy Who Loved Me? Spy Who Loved Me is the uh, Carly Simon song. That's a great song. Okay, it's kind of weird remember. as a Bond song, but it's a great song. Yeah, All Time High sucks. <laughs> it's yeah. the, When that saxophone kicks in, it just sounds like elevator music. <laughs> I know. That's exactly what... <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. You nailed it. You nailed it. But here, the Goldfinger theme, so freaking maximalist in the musical, just the the arrangement. It's so awesome. It's so 60s, but it sounds so Bond. It's not just that the song is good. I think it is. But the instrumentation just sounds like James Bond. And that's why I think it's one of the best Bond songs. There's, even, there's plenty of great Bond themes Something like um, Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney. Great song. Doesn't feel as Bond as this does, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I will say like a Bond theme that does sound like Bond and that and they do use throughout the movie, like here in Goldfinger, they use the opening to Goldfinger kind of throughout the movie. Yeah, the good themes are integrated into the score as well. I, yeah. The one I really enjoyed was Chris Cornell. You Know My Name okay. in uh, the 2006 Bond. Casino Royale. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought they integrated that into the movie uh, really well. And um, I think that's another great Bond theme. A little underrated. Great opening as well. But this one is definitely, uh, let's say definitely maybe, <laughs> my favorite opening uh, with Shirley Bassey. It's great. So after the opening, we get to Bond in Miami. And I just want to say there's an there's this awesome opening shot of this resort in Miami. And yeah, I love kinda, all the establishing stuff here. 
Yeah, and you really gotta wonder, like, how big the budget was, because you can tell they're, they're shooting it from a helicopter in 1964, and they have this camera, and they, like, zoom into a guy on, like, a diving tower, and he dives into the water, and then it just cuts straight to a guy underwater swimming. And then and then the way the camera moves, and it, and it shows that we're following Felix, who's, like, outside, like, a glass observation platform like in mm-hmm. inside the pool or something it's it's mm-hmm. really cool how they do that but it's also like what pool is installing that what hotel <laughs> or whatever what beach club <laughs> yeah so bond is hanging out there and again this is what i was referencing earlier this is the movie that people reference when they say that bond is a womanizer because felix shows up to talk to bond about goldfinger and this new mission where he's going to be working with the cia and there's a woman there named dink giving him a massage (laughs) and bond stands up and says felix this is dink dink felix dink say goodbye to felix and she goes oh and then he just smacks her in the ass as she walks away (laughs) well he says he says like guy talk or something oh that's right that's (laughs) right it's just a little he's like the casual ass smack is is amazing and guy talk there's something man talk or something you know there's something about just the stupid nature of this like yes it's horribly dated but (laughs) it's kind of fun to see it presented in a way where like maybe not that this was normal but it wasn't like shockingly off you know that that like james bond just does this you know and it's it's just like it's kind of it's part of the appeal of the character it's not like the main appeal but i mean there's something about like just these older bond movies where it's like okay this is just kind of interesting this is a different era you know well and i mean speaking of different era this is also the movie stroke scene where he's wearing my favorite bond outfit this baby blue romper that looks like it's made out of like terry cloth or something i love it yeah, it's a famous every time we talk about James Bond. <laughs> yeah, we brought it up numerous times. I know it's brought up in the the Doctor No commentary track because there's a yeah. scene in that movie or a number of scenes in that movie where he's wearing the same color, different outfit, but he's wearing the the, the little baby blue. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is yeah. a famous outfit. This is you you are on record as saying you would love to purchase this outfit to wear around your home yeah when i get a bit more money i'm uh, i'm gonna do it i'm gonna send you a picture you can put it on twitter or instagram or whatever and um yeah i'll make myself a martini too this is also the scene where we're introduced to goldfinger because felix shows up says hey you know i got a new job for you there's a guy auric goldfinger which great name well yeah because au is auric the... au is the chemical symbol for gold yes of course. yeah and his car has got the license plate AU1, which is a Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost, I think. It should it? be an Audi. It should be, yeah. Goldfinger's at this hotel fleecing this guy in uh, gin rummy, I think. So Goldfinger's acting kind of strange. He says, oh, I'm here to play my card game with you. Can I have my usual seat? So while he's doing that, Bond goes upstairs and sort of like semi-assaults a maid. And he grabs her by the waist and takes her keys off of her to open Goldfinger's room. And he walks in, and uh, there's a woman lounging around in lingerie, Jill Masterson. She's helping Goldfinger cheat at cards. She's got a pair of binoculars trained on him. He's wearing an earpiece. She's talking through a walkie-talkie to tell him. These are the best binoculars on Earth. I know. (laughs) That is such, like, a close-up image of the what she's looking at which is several hundred feet away i know and i also like how the binoculars seemingly move like like a camera would you know <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> i always yeah. like when movies try to trick you that you're looking through binoculars 
Oh yeah, because they're uh, like fixed on. They're like on some thing. They're like fixed on the rail. Yeah, they're on like a tripod or something. So Bond overpowers. Well, I, I guess he doesn't even really overpower. No, yeah, the, yeah, that's too aggressive. He says, "Hey, can I use the radio?" And Jill Masterson says, "Yeah, sure." So he takes over the radio, tells Goldfinger to lose fifteen thousand dollars because Bond knew he'd been fleecing this guy, and Bond knows that he's cheating. And so while Goldfinger's losing money, him and Jill head to the bedroom. After they're fooling around for a while, or even like even before then, there's even more like outdated masculine humor where he's on the phone to Felix and he's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be there at like eight a.m. or something to like some meeting." <laughs> and Jill goes, "Not too early," and he just like puts his hand on her face and throws her onto the bed. <laughs> well, and he even has a line too that says like, or, or I think it's it's a line that he has when he's on the phone. I, I think he says it to Felix, but he says something hard has come up or something. He has a line like yeah, that. I yeah. don't remember exactly what it is, but it just reminds me of, because there's um, the scene in The Spy Who Loved Me, which is very much the same scene. It's the opening scene in at like the ski lodge or whatever, it, famously in the uh, Alan Partridge show when they're when um <laughs> when when alan partridge is describing the entirety of that movie he's he's saying he's like gotta go gotta go love something's come up and then michael goes huh he means his cock it's like that's that's what's going on here <laughs> yeah so after bond is done being a sexist i guess he goes to get up to get more champagne and then this is where he makes this fantastic beatles joke <laughs> Oh my god, this is the this is the worst aged line in movie history. I mean, you have to think of it in context. This is 1964. The Beatles <laughs> are they're not exactly new on the scene, but they're still they're 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 sort of an anti-establishment figure, I guess. They're not really accepted by the old folks probably because rock and roll is still this like we don't really know what it is. But he, what what is it? he says? He's talking about the drinking the Dom Perignon fifty three at yeah. a temperature above thirty eight degrees Fahrenheit. He's like, that's worse than listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. And I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah. Bond, <laughs> you were so cool. What is wrong with you? That you have to admit, though, that's a pretty good joke. Like, that's a solid joke. I mean, joke. <laughs> it's but it's like so horribly like the Beatles. <laughs> The Beatles went on to become a far bigger institution even than James Bond. It's like, how were they so off on their one on the one pop culture critique the James Bond series has offered? How have they, how were they so wrong? <laughs> I guess maybe that's why they haven't done it more often. Maybe that's why the Beatles are never invited to do a Bond song. Well, yeah, well, they, McCartney songs. did one, um, but oh, they hey, also had. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, what does the Bond series offer any other pop culture critiques? I don't know. Does, does they have anything to say about Wayne Newton, maybe? They might. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> But, yeah, yeah that's, it's just like, oh. ugh, that line. It's, it's, it's cringy, as the, as, the, as the kids say. Well, after he makes the bad Beatles joke, we see a hand kind of approach Bond from the rear, and then he gets knocked out. He gets karate chopped in the back of the neck, and he gets knocked out. When he wakes up, he walks into his bedroom, and there's Jill Masterson laying face down on the bed covered in gold paint, and she's dead. She died of skin suffocation. Beautiful, beautiful image. Very famous. It was like, I want to say it was on the cover of like Life magazine or something, so it might have even been a famous image before the movie came out, or maybe that came out after the movie, but like just one of the enduring Probably the most enduring image of the, of the James Bond series, certainly, and one of the most in all of cinema. They attempted to recreate that, but with oil in oh, Quantum yeah. of Solace. 
that and was, it, was, it yeah. was not nearly as iconic or interesting yeah kind of uninspired if you ask me yeah oh strawberry fields another another beatles reference <laughs> oh, oh my god right yeah, that was right? her name right wow yeah that was her name strawberry fields wow maybe they knew if I'm not mistaken, they never even call her Strawberry in the movie. She she like introduces herself. She says, "My name is Fields," and then you wouldn't Ms. know Fields. her name was Strawberry Fields until you like looked at the credits or whatever. I, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I could be wrong. I, Quantum of Solace is one of the ones I I'm revisit gonna side the with least. you on this one. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. It's it's a beautiful shot. I would genuinely have that shot framed on my wall as a poster. Oh, I think that's a beautiful shot. Hang it in your closet right next to your romper. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Bond heads back to London. And he's, he's debriefing with M, And M's giving a bit of a dressing down for banging Goldfinger's girlfriend and getting her killed and spooking Goldfinger because I think Goldfinger came back to the UK. That night, Bond is invited back to have dinner with M, and I don't, I don't remember who it is. Like some fella, some rich fella. Oh, some some gold guy, I think he has. Something yeah, to do with yeah, like I think so. Right, study of gold or something. He, he has I, some I, gold I thing. He has a gold adjacent uh, interest or talent. <laughs> There's something to yeah. do with gold in the, in their discussion. Exactly, I don't and you know because he's super. He knows a lot about gold, and he's rich, so he must be good at it. So at the dinner, this fella kind of explains what one of the problems with Goldfinger is, and that it's that Goldfinger is a legally like licensed jeweler worldwide, but he's also a gold smuggler, and they don't know how he's getting gold around the world. And he explains that Goldfinger has like twenty million dollars in gold bullion, like in like China and the, and Britain and France and Switzerland and all over the place. And this is where Bond comes in. He has to find out how Goldfinger's doing it. And then also we get a weird scene. This again, this was cringy, as the kids would say. I guess. Are we talking golf here? No, this is the part where like Bond is critiquing the brandy on the table. Oh, you know, like like this movie has all the Bond tropes. Like this is. Like, I mean, the, these are the, the birth. these are the things that I just skip over if I'm doing a description of the movie. But hey, you do you. Yeah, well, I just want to. It's just it's just cringe. I don't know. Ugh, I just don't like. Let's just get just to the golf like scene. The golf scene yeah, is golf fantastic. Scene, it it it's just like the movie kind of like stops. He's got his Irish <laughs> yeah, caddy who, yeah. who's who's uh, a very dishonest caddy, by the way, because that guy like goes along with Bonds. Play. I mean that that caddy was like. He just works for the club, right? And and we find yeah. out later, by the way, that yeah, the and it's Goldfinger's club is club. owned by, by Goldfinger. <laughs> but this guy just like goes along with Bond, who <laughs> yeah. sort of cheats. He more just kind of forces Goldfinger to cheat. But it's yeah, I don't I, I don't think any honest caddy would go along with this. The, these caddies, you see, they 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 follow a strict moral code, and I don't think this guy. You know, this guy belongs in Caddyshack, not in not at a fine, fine institution like this golf club, wherever the hell it is. Exactly, yeah. Sean exactly. Connery, though, I will say, good swing. Goldfinger, not as good. But there is a scene where he drives, and it looks like he actually hit the ball, and it looks like he hit it pretty far. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a slice. Is a slice to a le- is to the left, right? Slices to the left. Well, it depends if you're right-handed or left-handed. Does it? Yeah. I guess. Because my slice would be different than your slice, because I'm left-handed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you would. Yeah, sorry. I was just, <laughs> I was just miming the motions in front of myself. Um, <laughs> so, yes, this golf game, really great scene. Bond is given this bar of Nazi gold at the dinner party. 
and this is what he's going to use to lure Goldfinger into this is where Bond gets canceled. kind of getting into his good graces. So they're at the golf club. Bond sets it up so that they can play around together. And near the end of their round, like on the end of the 16th hole, Bond just thuds this thing down on the green in front of Goldfinger. I love that. And he's so amazed by this bar of Nazi gold that he misses his putt. So from here on out, Goldfinger says, hey, we're going to play for money. And by money, I mean that bar of gold. So if I win, I get the bar of gold. If you win, you get like $5,000. And you get to keep your bar of gold. It was was already established that the ball that Goldfinger uses is a Slazenger. Slazenger won. So he's first up to tee, hits it off, Bond hits his, and uh, Goldfinger can't find his ball. It's in, it's in the rough somewhere. So he's looking around for it, looking around for it, and then <laughs> Odd Job. Oh yeah, I guess I forgot to mention. This is where we formally meet Odd Job. Yes, Odd Job is the caddy who they basically say is just mute, and he says he's like he's a great assistant, but he's an awful caddy because yes. he can't <laughs> say a damn thing. So, <laughs> so he drops another Slazenger ball from his pant leg because because Goldfinger can't find his, and he really wants to win this game. And then <laughs> Odd Job. On finding this new ball, goes ha ha, yeah, <laughs> like a fucking crow or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and the guy goes, "Wow, that was the the, the Bond's caddy." Goes, "Wow, that was like a great bit of luck for Goldfinger." And James Bond goes, "Can't be his ball." He's like, "Why do you say that?" He goes, "Cause my foot's on it." <laughs> it's like that's like the classiest, smoothest thing James Bond has ever done. To be honest, <laughs> he was hiding Goldfinger's ball, trying to make him. <laughs> lose right bond has found a slazenger seven on the course so at the end of that hole when goldfinger finally sinks his putt and it seems like goldfinger's won bond has this slazenger seven in his pocket and he bends down to pick up the two the two balls out of the cup and he switches goldfinger's ball with the seven and he points out to goldfinger he goes hey this is a seven you you play a one don't you well you must have played the wrong ball somewhere on the (laughs) on the fairway Uh, you have to forfeit the game now so which means I win. <laughs> and it was just like such a smooth thing to do. Like I just really appreciate that whole scene. <laughs> yeah, I lo- I love the golf scene. I love it's it's very unlike any other Bond scene I can think of because it's like I don't know, it's like I mean it's golf. It's like a it's a classy sport, right? But like we we always see Bond in these classy social scenarios whether it's cards or just, you know, drinking a martini. But yeah, it's just golf. It's 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 fun. You know, he gets to show off his Scottishness uh, being Sean Connery, you know. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. I also like when Odd Job crushes the golf ball in his hand. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, yeah, and this is also the scene where we get proof that Odd Job is, a, is in fact an Odd Job. And uh, he takes off his boulder cap and throws it at a statue and it breaks the head of the statue off. So it's kind of terrifying, but also really neat. Like, I wish hats like that existed. No, you don't. I do. I no, you really don't. I'd be really good at throwing them. You know how, how much longer it would take to get through security at an airport if hats like that existed? So while while Goldfinger is writing out a check to Bond, he places a tracker on Goldfinger's car. And from this, he finds out that Goldfinger's heading to Geneva. His car is being loaded on a plane, so Bond tails him. He's following him along mountain roads and then is overtaken by this crazy woman in a kind of a sports car. And this woman turns out to be Tilly Masterson, Jill's sister. But she tries to take out Goldfinger while he's like at like <laughs> like a fruit stand on the side of yeah. a mountain. 
but she's so uh, fucking yeah, what, bad. What kind of fruit is he buying? Gold, look at Goldfinger. He doesn't look like a fruit guy to me. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not eating much fruit, is he? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like it. <laughs> Maybe like a pineapple upside down cake or a um, <laughs> yeah. strawberry cheesecake, maybe. But there fruit? you go, yeah. No, no. Just a whole apple pie. <laughs> Yeah, Tilly Masterson is so bad at her job that she almost shoots Bond instead of Goldfinger, who's standing like a couple hundred feet behind him and like up the side of a mountain. So uh, <laughs> she's just fucking terrible. You say she's bad at her job. We don't know what her job is. She's not like you're a right, hired right. gun. She could be a she's receptionist. Seeking... I don't know. Yeah, she's just seeking revenge. Like She's not an expert at this shit. She's you're not right, Bond. Right. She doesn't have a Q branch. She's doing what she can. <laughs> yeah. She's doing her best. Oh, man, we skipped... Wait, did we skip over all the Q stuff? I think. Oh, we yeah, we didn't talk about the Q scene. Which, that's another reason why this is the first real, like, the Bond formula here is, like, perfected because we get the the Q scene where they see all these gadgets then all these things in the background that Bond doesn't use but that we see tested out, like, because it's got this, like, bulletproof vest that they just shoot this dude with, with an automatic weapon with and he's okay and... Yeah, there's that thing. Yeah, Bond is given a couple trackers, like a big one that's magnetic, and then uh, you can stick to cars, and then a small one they can put on your person, and then he's given a rundown of his beautiful Aston Martin, and it's got like a bulletproof back windshield, smokescreen, bulletproof front windshield also. Yeah, what is it? Smokescreen, ejector is it oil, seat, oil slick, and yeah, and then the best part is the ejector seat. Think of all the Bond gadgets, and we we get to some you know, i mean over the course of the series we get to some kind of absurd territory with some of them but there there will never ever be anything cooler than an ejector seat in a car i don't think i don't think it's possible oh, absolutely the next absolutely. closest I is totally the magnetic agree. watch but that's mostly just because roger moore uses it to under <laughs> just to, to to lower someone's zipper which is just awesome like that's like the smoothest bond has ever been but yeah ejector seat is you know that's great stuff yeah and this is also the first movie that you get q being kind of like funny and quirky right? um like uh not i, I in... don't know i i um like he's 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 there it's desmond llewellyn it's him he's doing his thing and I, I feel like as the series went on, he became more and more funny. But that's also because if you look at the scenes with him and Roger Moore, because Roger Moore in general was just a funny guy. But Roger Moore had such amazing chemistry with him that I think they started making those scenes a lot mm. more comedic. And then um, isn't Q like involved in the plot in Octopussy or something? Doesn't he like tag along in the adventure for part of it? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. So it's like we're not full on like Q is a comedic character there, but there's a personality there at least. Yeah, he's also kind of involved in the plot of You Only Live Twice when he flies Little Nelly the gyrocopter. I, I believe it. I don't remember. Yeah, pe- people always try to forget that movie because that's when James Bond was the most racist. Hey, that's a solid flick, though. I, th- I think that is. is the most James Bondy movie. That is the most James Bond James Bond has ever been, that movie. Also, You Only Live Twice, pretty decent song. Yeah, it's an okay one. Middle of the road for the series, I think. Well, to skip back ahead in time in this movie, after Goldfinger drives away and after Bond almost gets shot, he peels out in front of Tilly Masterson and <laughs> has, like... A tire popper, also yeah. in his Aston Martin, and he runs her off the road with it. 
and uh, he picks her up and takes her to a service station, mainly to find out more about her and to try to eliminate her from this situation, I guess. Not, not right. like kill her, but just remove her from the situation. So so then Bond goes to the um, the Goldfinger Auric yeah, Enterprises. Yeah, Auric Enterprises, the Goldfinger yeah. factory, that's it. He hangs out there till nightfall and then scoots himself on up to the factory windows and he sees that they're taking apart Goldfinger's car, smelting it down. And this is how he's smuggling gold all across the world because he takes his car everywhere with him. As Goldfinger's leaving a room, Bond overhears them say something about Operation Grand Slam, which sounds like a giant breakfast item at Denny's. Yeah, (laughs) Operation Grand Slam just turns out to be a Denny's expansion that Goldfinger is working on. (laughs) No, it's a hostile takeover of Denny's. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bond leaves the factory after he hears this, and he immediately alerts all of the baddies to his whereabouts because Tilly Masterson shows up to try to shoot Goldfinger, and Bond tackles her and makes her gun hit like a tripwire. So all of these, I assume they're Chinese people, all of these Chinese people come flying out of the factory and hopping in cars, and we get a car chase with Bond's supercar versus all of their machine guns, and he's pulling out all the all the gadgets. He's pulling out the oil slick and the smoke screen and the bulletproof back Oh my god, back can, can we sh- just say the uh, the car crash here, the car yeah. explosion <laughs> yeah, it's is the best one of one. the coolest <laughs> things ever. Because it's just like a fireball. The car just, like, starts on fire immediately. Like, it hasn't even crashed yet. It just kind of goes off the hill. It goes off the road, and it's in the air, and then just, boom, yeah. it starts on fire. It's amazing. So cool. It was almost exactly like the Dr. No <laughs> car crash. Except so much better executed. Because then it, like, rolls into the side of the building, and you're like, wow, that does look cool. But eventually Bond hops out of the his car and he's trying to take on all these Chinese people and he says hey Tilly make a run for it so she takes off but she gets cracked in the neck by Oddjob's hat so Bond kind of gives up or he seemingly gives up and he heads back to his car and he's got a guard with him very convenient that they let him just drive the car even even though like there's a gun held <laughs> to him like they wouldn't let him drive. I know right <laughs> yeah he's heading towards this factory and then he tries to make a break for it. Like, where the fuck is he going to go, right? He just wanted to use the ejector seat. He just needed an excuse to use the ejector seat. That's that's all That's all this was. The guy next to him hadn't shot him yet, so he was like, hey, I guess I should probably eject him now. So he does, and that's awesome. Even though it's clearly like a dummy being shot, being like thrown fine. out of like the roof of the car. <laughs> Then there's kind of like a weird car chase between alley, like in alleyways, and then Bond is bested by a literal mirror where he's driving down an alleyway and his uh, headlights are being reflected off a mirror and he thinks there's another car coming, so he swerves into a wall and knocks himself out. Which he would have hit the wall anyways, I think, because there's a wall dead ahead of him where the mirror is, so I think he's crashing no matter what (laughs) in this situation. I really think that. Now, this is the scene where we're treated to one of the most famous lines in Bond movie history. So Bond is captured. He's strapped to a table with a laser beam pointed at him. This awesome-looking, like, neon blue and red laser beam. And I don't know how they did it. I assume there's, like, a torch or something under the table, and they're just cutting through, like, this cardboard-painted gold or something. Probably, yeah. But Goldfinger has this laser beam trained on his crotch, essentially. Well, it's between the legs, and it's moving up. It's moving towards (laughs) the crotch area. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrifying. I'd be terrified. Well, well, Bond, Bond is because he 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 lies. He he has literally nothing he can do here except for just lie and hope for the best. 
before he t- he mentions Operation Grand Slam, he's still like strapped on the table and it looks like he's going to die. Like this is the end of James Bond. And he says to Goldfinger, who's walking away from him, because Goldfinger's just going to let him die. He doesn't give a shit about James Bond. He goes, do you expect me to talk? And he goes, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Greatest line ever. And then Bond oh, says, oh, Operation Grand Slam. He goes, I know about it. And 008, when I die, he'll just take my place and he'll know about it. And MI6 knows about it. Goldfinger doesn't call him on his bluff. He saves him. At first, he kind of does call him on his bluff because he's just like, ah, it's, you know, it's a name that you heard and it means nothing to you. And then he's like, yeah, nothing. You're just bluffing. And then but Bond is like, but can you afford to take that risk? And he's thinking, oh, shit, you're probably right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that because like even when he's confronted with this, like Goldfinger is still like he's ruthless enough where he's he's so close to doing the right thing. And I mean I mean the right thing in the sense of a Bond villain who they usually just monologue and let someone, you know, go by not killing them quickly. He's so close to killing him quickly here. He's so close. He almost did it. So after Goldfinger frees him he knocks him out and puts him on a plane heading for Baltimore, then ultimately Kentucky. And uh, this is where we meet Pussy Galore, who is a lesbian. (laughs) Well, yes I think we can safely say she's a lesbian. It's very clear that she, in the book, which I'm sure you've read, right? I did, yes. She's a lesbian in the book. Here, they definitely don't say it. They maybe imply it because I think at one point she says something like, oh, your your charms don't work on me or something, which might mean she's a lesbian, also might just mean like she's just not into 60s men who smack women on their asses when when guy talk is to be done. I mean, it could mean a few (laughs) things, you know? Yeah, well, then she also kind of wears mannish clothes. And there's a scene later where she pulls out some jujitsu moves on him. <laughs> Judo. Judo, that was it. <laughs> which which that had to be written into the script because that was just something Honor Honor Blackman just knew Judo. I don't know if it was from her time on the Avengers oh, wow. show, but she just like happened to know that. And then they're like, oh, shit, let's put this in the movie then. <laughs> I think that's kind of neat. Well, that's great. But, uh, yeah, so he's heading to the States, and then we also get this cute scene where he goes to the bathroom to activate his transponder so the CIA and MI6 know where he is. Mm-hmm. And there's this lady, the stewardess, I guess, on the plane. She's trying to spy on him in the bathroom to make sure he's not up to any secret agent stuff. And he yeah. keeps on, like, <laughs> like covering her view of the bathroom in various yeah. ways, <laughs> which is, which is <laughs> with, with shaving, he hangs a coat there. He opens his briefcase to block yeah. one view. He uses <laughs> yeah. shaving cream. <laughs> like, I love, I love that. It's great. So when we make it to Kentucky, we get to meet <laughs> the possibly worst named flying circus in history, and it's Pussy Galore's Flying Circus. Well, how many flying circuses do you know of, though? I mean... I don't. I don't know exactly. any. This, this could be the best named one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It could be. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Pussy Galore. And uh, it's an all-female flying troop. It, that's even more... <laughs> that's even Suggested. more ammunition. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, I want to point this out. And, uh, like, it's amazing that they got away with that name in 1964. Like, mm-hmm. kudos to them like yeah. for putting that yeah. in the movie. Because it's not like people didn't know what that meant. People knew what, what it meant. It was just they were able to do it in the 60s. It's amazing. You couldn't have done this in, like, an 80s movie that's rated PG or anything like that. It's, it's amazing. And and I also read, I, I also read Honor Blackman 
it, it was very humorous to her and when they were doing like press stuff like she would always say her character's name constantly but everyone interviewing her was really <laughs> uncomfortable saying anything about it so like anything that they printed would just like refer to her as like goldfinger's pilot or something but she was just apparently really into making people feel uncomfortable about her character's name which is great so funny wow i also like the idea that in 1964 the biggest hurdle that james bond has to overcome isn't a korean man who's like 50 times stronger than him or a laser it's a it's a lesbian who is (laughs) who's not affected by his charm it's a lesbian (laughs) who who knows judo (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so bond is escorted to this cell in the basement of goldfinger's stud farm oh my god can we get any more sexual goldfinger's assembled like a bunch of criminals like a bunch of mobsters in his in his house for some reason to explain to them yeah (laughs) yeah and he's explained to them that he's gonna raid fort knox he's borrowed like a million bucks from everybody or he owes them like a million bucks in gold but he's gonna give them each 10 million in gold once he raids Fort Knox. And that's his big plan, Operation Grand Slam. One of the mobsters doesn't want to go along with the plan, so he leaves. So Goldfinger gives him gold and tells him to go. But as he's doing that, he gasses all the bad guys in this room with this like nerve agent that he's going to spread over the area of Fort Knox to like knock everybody out. The side effect of this nerve agent, though, is that it kills them. So he just assembles all these people in a room who then agree to help him, and then he kills them all. The criminal they sent on its way with, like, a million bucks in gold, he lets Oddjob drive him to the airport. But no, 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 Oddjob doesn't take him to the airport. Oddjob takes him to, like, a like a, like a scrapyard and plugs him in the head and then <laughs> gets his car crushed in a car crusher and then <laughs> hauls the crushed car with the body in it and a, a million dollars worth of gold in it back to Goldfinger so he can get his gold back. You'd think he could just shoot him, then take the gold, and then crush it so they don't have to crush the gold. But whatever, you know, you do. I know. But I love Goldfinger. This is great. This is like great A This is the one scene that kind of um, drags for me a bit. The whole, well, this this is a weird segment of the movie, I guess. But this is where Bond escapes from his little cell. And how he escapes, it's Mm -hmm. really not clever. He just, like, looks at his guard and then just, like, (laughs) lowers himself and then so the guard has to go in to see like oh what's going on like it's they didn't really write it very cleverly Mm -hmm. but i like the scene where where bond is spying on the well first of all it's a great bad guy presentation you know the unveiling of the plan oh it's fantastic that's great and we still don't have all of the plan exactly but that Mm -hmm. scene's a lot of fun i like bond spying on them but then when it goes to um this other guy this uh, one mobster who doesn't go along with the plan, then Bond puts his um, tracking device on that guy. So then Felix is, like, following him, and they're going to the scrapyard. It's just like, what's going on here? Why why did Bond give them the tracking device? Well, because he wrapped uh, wrapped the tracking device in a note that had all the plans about Operation Grand Slam. Yeah, I, I guess I guess he I guess he f- figured that Felix would be able to intercept that guy, but I feel like he had to have known that guy was going to get killed, right? That that that's my complaint here. Is I I, I know, I right? Think Bond wasted this tracking device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So right after that, 
Goldfinger realizes that they're being watched by the CIA, so he gets Bond to come out of his cell and for Pussy Galore to like hang out with him, make him look comfortable. And this is where Bond says, Hey, Goldfinger, I heard your plan. I don't think it makes sense. Why would you do it? Unless you have a dirty bomb from the Chinese because this Chinese fellow I saw you talking to in Switzerland is like a nuclear... Kato? He's big on nukes. So I think you're going to irradiate all the gold in Fort Knox and the only gold that will be available to everybody on the planet for like the next X amount of years is going to be the gold that you possess. And Goldfinger's like, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Goodbye. <laughs> and then and then this is where James Bond assaults a lesbian and turns her into a straight woman. Yeah, this is this is almost as poorly aged as the Beatles line, this scene. Yeah. It's it's I still think the Beatles line's a little worse, but this is not pretty. When I was a kid watching this movie, I thought it was kind of funny. But as an adult watching this, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah, because they have Why? like a little, the wrestling kind of slowly becomes lovemaking. But like, yeah, I'm certain when I was a kid, I was watching this. I'm certain I didn't get lesbian vibes from this. But I mean, it's still, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, he bangs her till she's straight. Yeah, that's the end of that day. So the next day, Fort Knox is assaulted, and Pussy Galore's Flying Circus flies over the area, spreading their nerve agent. Everything's going according to plan. Everybody's, like, knocked out, uh, laying on the sides of the roads, asleep in cars, in cars that are, like, overturned. Goldfinger and everybody roll up. They blow the main gate to Fort Knox. Then they laser down a door, which is pretty cool. And then they set this nuclear bomb. Next, you know, all the soldiers and everybody outside just wakes up and they're like calling orders and stuff on the radio. And it turns out, this isn't revealed till later, but it turns out that Pussy Galore is actually on the side of Bond now because he also banged her into a good guy and uh, they switched out, she, she like switched out all the nerve agent canisters. Presumably the only reason she was evil was because she was a lesbian. Remember, this is 1964, <laughs> okay? You get with the times here, Jim. Yeah, those evil lesbians. Now, I, I want to say, you know, speaking of, of the lesbian subtext here, or text, whatever you want to call it, there is a line, <laughs> this is with, um, which one's the first Masterson? Jill. Goldfinger, or she does say that, like, oh, Goldfinger pays me to help him cheat at cards and also to be seen with him. Yeah. I.e., she's a beard. Now, is she a beard because... Goldfinger wants to sleep with her and she just is saying that she doesn't because you know Bond is more attractive as a woman probably or is she a beard because Goldfinger is actually gay but wants to be seen with an attractive young woman think about that oh why don't God. you oh my god or maybe Goldfinger can't get it up and he's just a sugar daddy yeah there's there's he's just plenty a sugar of yes a Goldfinger of he's one of those old rich guys that just wants to be around attractive women probably wouldn't know what to do if he actually had the opportunity but there is an opening to read him in that one line as gay so potentially every single evil character except for the chinese kato guy is gay in this movie think about it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i hope this <laughs> i hope this becomes like a serious theory somewhere on, on I'm sure. So, well, you, there's there's legitimate academic papers and stuff on Bond. I'm sure this has been discussed. I mean, I mean, obviously the James Bond banging a lesbian into being straight is like not not that this is like the only thing that that happens in, but like that is 
a very problematic thing that has been talked about in, in a lot of media and stuff like that by scholarly authors as well as just regular people who recognize that that is messed up. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's This has been touched upon, I'm sure, but I don't know. Much like Bond touched pussy galore. No, oh, pussies galore. God. And Dink's ass or whatever. What was her? It was a Dink? <laughs> dink. Or bink? Yeah, it was Dink. It was Dink. <laughs> I get the main Bond girl having a suggestive name. I get that. That becomes or is a theme. I guess it's a theme in the books first, I guess. And then, and then we get mm-hmm. Honey Rider in the movies and we got Pussy Galore here, which is certainly, of, of all of the Bond girl nicknames, the one that they're playing with fire the most, I would say. But, um, <laughs> yeah, why do you even just the yeah. side ones have stupid names like dink or bink what i don't get yeah, she it she sounds like one of the teletubbies yeah dink 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 was the name of uh luke wilson in um luke wilson in uh, my dog skip he's dink jenkins <laughs> no he wasn't was he yes he was <laughs> oh <laughs> local legend of yazoo mississippi dink jenkins well inside the vault at fort knox bond is chained to the bomb and he's left to die And as Goldfinger begins to leave with the Chinese scientist, all the soldiers, all the American soldiers begin to attack Goldfinger's men. And this scene, I love this scene. Goldfinger runs into a separate room, rips off his clothes because underneath he's wearing like a U.S. Army uniform. Yeah, like an officer is like a colonel or something. And he immediately runs out and shoots the Chinese scientist. It just like plugs him like four times. <laughs> oh yeah, he takes out Kato. He did. He did something that Inspector Cluzo was never able to do. I love how yeah. he's got a gold <laughs> pistol, of course, too. He does. Yeah, it's great. It is not the titular golden gun that we get later in the series, but it is a golden gun nonetheless. Or for you younger kids, it'd be like the gold Desert Eagle in Call of Duty. There's also the golden gun in Golden Eye, which is the, there, like, there the one-shot go. kill gun. I, I love that. It's a great gun. Great game. But Goldfinger escapes, and in the vault is Oddjob and Bond. Bond is trying to disarm. Well, there's the other guy, too, until Oddjob throws him yeah. off the balcony. <laughs> yeah, just picks up and throws him down like four flights. Because this is after Goldfinger closes the vault, and Oddjob, loyal manservant that he is, is content to just die there. But there's other guys trying to escape, and then that's yeah. why Oddjob just throws them. <laughs> yeah. So Oddjob and Bond, because uh, I don't remember how he gets out of his cuffs, but Oddjob and Bond he, start he, fighting. He, I, well, that's why I mentioned him throwing the guy, because that's how he gets the keys, because the other guy oh, had the keys. Right. And the guy that Oddjob just threw off the balcony towards Bond, is that's how <laughs> where he gets the keys. That's right, yeah. A classic odd job. I don't blame him for that. Like, I don't blame him for, for not thinking of that. No, you're right. Poor odd job. But he does pave the way to his own demise because him and Bond are fighting. And odd job is extremely, extremely strong. And he's overpowering Bond. And Bond is, like, hitting him with, like, gold bricks and stuff. And yeah, just, he like, throws a gold brick his chest. at his torso <laughs> and there's no reaction. <laughs> and you see just the effort that... Bond has to put just to even throw that too. It's like you Yeah, yeah. That's great. But at one point Oddjob throws his hat and he like severs this electrical cable and Bond kind of lures him into a trap. He throws Oddjob's hat at some metal at some uh Christ what are, what are the words I'm looking for Patrick? Like bars. Uh, yeah, thank you. Metal bars. And his hat gets stuck in there. So when Oddjob goes to reach for his hat, Bond shocks the bars and it kills odd job it just fries him outright 
So then Bond turns his attention back to the nuclear device, and he's trying to, he's trying, like, he's got the case open. He's trying to figure out how to turn it off. He's got no fucking clue how to turn it off. There's, like, 30 seconds left. He's about to die. Then some random guy runs up and turns it off with 00 seconds left, or sorry, 007 seconds left on the clock. Which, originally, the clock just, like, stopped whenever, and it was a reshoot that had it at 007. Because they thought, oh, that'd be kind of neat. But, like, when they actually shot the scene, it didn't stop at 007. It stopped at, like, three seconds left or something. Oh, wow. (laughs) I could be imagining it, but I want to say there's a line that Bond says something, or maybe someone else says it to Bond. It's like, but imagine if we didn't get here in three more ticks, you would have died or something. I want to say they said three more ticks, as if it stopped at three seconds, but really it stopped oh. at seven. I want to go back oh, and watch that scene yeah. again now, but that's, that's that's what I got there. Yeah, you might be right. I, th- I think you're probably right about that. Those frauds, they don't even... What a blatant continuity error. <laughs> yeah, take that Bond franchise. Take that Sean Connery. So Bond kind of saves the day, but not really. Another guy saves the day, some random dude. And Bond is going to be put on a plane to go... I think, like, back to the UK or whatever? No, he's going to say hi to the president. He's going to go meet Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> what are you laughing at? He was the president then. Yeah, I know, I know. Do you think they um, think if Bond ever met Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon Johnson would whip his dick out like he did to that one um, senator who he was trying to get to vote for or something? What? I never heard there's about There's like that. a, there's, <laughs> Lind, Lyndon Johnson, this is before he was president, but there's some crazy stories about him. I think there was one instance where um, he was in like a bathroom in the Senate and there was like some Democratic senator who didn't want to vote for the, because uh, I think he was Senate Majority Leader or Senate Whip or so, something like that. I don't know. But Lyndon Johnson just like dropped trowel and just like took his dick out and is like here if you're anything like me you're gonna vote for this bill or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah lyndon johnson was was, was kind of a crazy man i swear (laughs) look it up there's i'm botching the execution of the story but there's some there's some very very slapping dink on the ass kinds of aged poorly things with lyndon johnson as well yeah i mean if he did that i bet james bond would be like mine's bigger and just yeah, well, that's why I brought it up, yeah. because I think Connery <laughs> could challenge Lyndon. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sean Connery, true man's man. <laughs> on this on this private plane, it seems like everything's over, but then Goldfinger pops out of nowhere with his cool golden gun. Him and Bond fight. I don't even know how to describe Like It's just like a, a fat old man fighting a relatively fit Scotsman. And then Goldfinger <laughs> shoots the gun off and takes out a window of the airplane and things just start like flying around the fuselage and then Goldfinger sucked right out the window which is pretty cool <laughs> yeah and Bond bursts into the cockpit and there's Pussy Galore and their plane crashes in the ocean you're like oh my god they're dead and then we see Felix in like a helicopter looking for them oh but no they're fine they're just having sex under a parachute laying on like somebody's lawn that's 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 it that's their that's the end of the movie which I, I'm trying to think here. I just not to nitpick, but they're leaving from Kentucky. They're going to Washington D.C. What fucking body of water is that? Because they should only be <laughs> flying over like rivers, right? Maybe a lake. Maybe it's a lake. Maybe yeah. Maybe it's we'll, a big... we'll say it's a lake somewhere in like Maryland, I guess, or Virginia. I guess it's a lake. Yeah, like on, unless they made like a quick trip out over the ocean. Like, but still, off plot hole, you know. <laughs> 
No, they had to fly over Antarctica to like save a day or whatever to. That's uh, right. <laughs> to save to go back in time. Yeah, like Superman. But yeah, that's it, Patrick. Your thoughts on Goldfinger? Goldfinger's great. I really enjoy the movie. I think it's. I still think it's my second favorite Bond film. But I, I think I enjoyed it more this time than I remembered enjoying it. And I think I enjoyed a lot of the like aspects of the filmmaking that I don't think I really noticed before. And some of the stuff we touched upon, but like the the um, seeing the guy attacking him through the in the reflection in that woman's eyes, I think is so neat. Mm-hmm. The, the establishing shots of Miami. Uh, there's just some really neat stuff. I also think the sound, like the sound of the guns and stuff, is just great in this movie for whatever reason. It's just gunshots really resonate in the, in this movie more so than mm-hmm. I seem to recall them doing in the previous two films. It's a very good movie. It's one of the best action movies ever, one of the best James Bond films ever, one of the best spy films ever. Dare I say one of the great achievements in British cinema. You know, right up there with The Wicker Man and Kess and Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> yeah, well, it was in it was in the uh, top seventy of the BFI's list of greatest yeah. British movies. So I bet you those other three films I mentioned are too. Kess is like a top ten film according to the BFI, I think, and rightfully so. That movie's amazing. It's boring as hell, and you have to and you have to put on subtitles because those fucking yorkshire accents are insane <laughs> but it's a great movie and jim i know you're familiar with those accents but those i am very some familiar. aggressive yorkshire accents in that movie but uh, jim what did you think of goldfinger well you know how i think about it or what i think about it it's like my favorite bond movie okay yeah i mean i've already touched on how i feel about it and you just kind of echoed my beliefs and uh, yeah i mean if you want to if you want classic bond this is like the best of classic bond in my opinion this is the movie to watch is this the like if you're talking to someone who like has never seen a bond movie and you want to get them into it is this the first one you would mention like say hey go watch this no i if for somebody who's never seen james bond i would not recommend any of the old bond movies to them really i would recommend like the like one or two of the daniel craig movies casino royale skyfall either one of those ones and then if they like those, I would say, hey, if you want, here's like 30 other movies <laughs> that were made before the year 2000 okay. that you should check See, out. See, I, th- I think my, my first would be, because I think to understand James Bond and to understand the cultural phenomenon that it is, you, you really have to. I understand Daniel Craig, more modern, different. It's a different beast. It's a different series. But to understand what Bond is, you really have to see the Connery films. And I think... I would actually, this this would be a close second, but I think I would recommend, problematic though it is, I would recommend You Only Live Twice. Because I think that movie, <laughs> for its rip-roaring pace, and it's just throwing every fucking thing you could possibly want in a movie, ninjas, ninja stars, explosions, people <laughs> yeah. in yellow face, like everything you want in a movie is Sean in that Connery movie. Sean with Connery <laughs> with a bowl cut. <laughs> and then it's also kind of like a, I mean, not that the other Connery movies aren't, but it's also like a oh yeah, this is horrendously aged in in certain aspects. It's it's like a, it's a good awakening to that because you're going to hit that point at one time or another watching the Connery movies. And I just I don't yeah that opening scene of Diamonds Are Forever is just the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't want to watch that. I want I want that 
can't be your diamonds are forever i don't want to be your first introduction to bond is kind of problematic (laughs) you know i think you got to build up yeah that's probably plus diamonds are forever isn't a very (laughs) that's probably the worst one (laughs) yeah i mean i would definitely say you know you only live twice and goldfinger but okay goldfinger is my fave yeah i think this is a again going back to from russia with love which i think is just about as good as this this is a much more modern pace to it I think it, it, it more closely resembles how action movies are today than From Russia With Love does, which is yes. yeah. sort of halfway between... I mean, Dr. No is just like a snooze fest, and it's just slow and boring <laughs> the entire time. From Russia With Love is like halfway between Dr. No and here in Goldfinger, where it's like the first half is kind of Dr. No. The second half, you know, once we get on the train, then it's pretty similar to what it's like here. But yeah, this is like that throughout the entire thing, just about. So it's great. Yeah. So uh, that's that. Let's move on. All right. Dead or Alive, 1999, from director Takashi Miike. This is our second Takashi Miike film. This is our second Takashi Miike film released in 1999. Just because, again, (laughs) if you look at Takashi Miike's Wikipedia, that man was pumping out five or six movies a year for a while. I don't know how he did it, especially because, like, other people who do that, like the Jim Wynorskis and stuff, their movies look like shit, and <laughs> his do not. His are, like, well-made, so I really don't... Like, Audition. Audition's an incredible movie. It's like, he oh, made yeah, that the same year as he made this, and I think this this is the first movie in a trilogy. I think the second Dead or Alive may have also come out in 1999. I could be wrong on that. But it's also it's think, it's like a dollars trilogy where it's not they're not really sequels they're not connected there's maybe a few thematic connections but the 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 two leads in this movie are the two leads throughout the Dead or Alive trilogy so that's Showa Kawa who plays the cop here and Ricky Takuchi who plays the gangster who by the way have you ever seen a cooler looking person than Ricky Takuchi No no I don't think I have I really don't, and we just saw Sean Connery in a movie, and I'm mean, like, Ricky Takuchi is just the coolest guy. Like, just the way he walks, and the way he wears sunglasses. He doesn't always wear sunglasses, but he's got that got that black overcoat. <laughs> he's, like, constantly wearing black. He's like Hamlet, and he's just so cool, and he's got that, like, pompadour <laughs> kind of thing. He's just so awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, some slow-mo shots where he looks really cool. Yeah. You know? You're like, Wow. Yeah, he's just one of the coolest people ever. That goes without saying, I guess, if, you, if you've if you seen this movie. But anyways, so how do I talk about this movie, Jim? Uh, you know, you lend me some ideas here. I guess we have to talk about the first scene. Well... But even that I'm having str- trouble with. My problem... I watched this movie twice, back to back. Okay. This movie's on Tubi, by the way, in the United States, but apparently not in Canada. Yeah, you know, you know what I forgot to tell you, Patrick... And listeners, I know you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyways. The movie was not available in Canada anywhere, not on any streaming service. I couldn't even find like 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 a like one to watch online somewhere. It's it's literally non-existent in Canada, except for Kingston Classic Video. Oh, coming in so, clutch. Yeah, so the I people uh, who you have a forty dollar late fee with, they're they're there to help you. <laughs> Yeah, I I grabbed my fear by the horns and I humped it into submission. And I went Just like into Sean Kingston Connery Classic. and lesbians. 
Exactly. I'll <laughs> put everything into submission in that movie. Uh, yeah, I went into Kingston Classic Video. They had it. The people there are super nice, as always, and I didn't owe any late fees. So now I have. Now I can go back whenever I want. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. You you literally <laughs> waited it out. You just like waited until they forgave you because until it I had was to. like over a year ago. Because <laughs> it was the first Godzilla yeah, movie, I know. right? We recorded that probably in like December yep. or something. December of 2020. Yeah. We're we're in January of 2022. This episode's coming out later, but yeah, we just we just lost Meatloaf yesterday. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. Speaking of rest in peace, let's talk about the entire country of Japan being destroyed. <laughs> Not in any Godzilla film that we've done, but here in Dead or Alive. So, this movie's insane, and you will know that if you watch it from the opening scene, which is amazing. I love the opening scene. The opening scene is seven minutes of, it's like the seven-minute montage of just insanity, and it really, like, gears you up for, like, a movie that's unlike anything you've seen before. And if I have a complaint, it's actually that, though there's that Takashi Miike weirdness and, like, depravity throughout the movie sprinkled in here and there, (laughs) the movie's actually a little too conventional, you know, compared to the opening scene, or I guess... It's bookended by insanity at the opening and the closing, but kind of the middle is, I mean, it's it's hyper-violent, it's got weirdness, but it's kind of a conventional movie, and the opening scene really gets you kind of thinking you'll see something completely different, and I don't know, that's just an observation, but... Well, I was just going to say I agree with you, but the opening scene does, it does certainly give you that vibe, like, it, it, it's, it's crazier than the rest of the movie, but... Yeah. You know what to expect from the rest of the movie. Yes. You know? Yes. So the opening scene, it's it's like I said, it's about five, six, seven minutes long. It's got this rock song playing, this like hard rock song. And well the very first thing we see, we hear a scream and we see what looks like a mannequin thrown out like a skyscraper. And we see, <laughs> yeah. we see later, because this it's a montage, so it cuts back and forth between all these different things. But we do see a dead body on the ground outside a building and someone collecting like a bag of cocaine from that body. So I guess that was the mannequin. Mm-hmm. And we see a dude <laughs> snorting like a 30 line, thirty foot long line of coke. We see a stripper. We see sex. We see a guy eating a lot of noodles <laughs> in a disgusting way. Yeah. We see, you know, Ricky Takuchi just like kind of pulling guns out. We, we see like all this stuff. We see... We see everything. We see just every single thing. It's like, again, it's seven minutes long, and it never stops being entertaining. And it's edited like a trailer. In fact, the first time I saw this movie, I was like 30 seconds in, and I'm like, did I click on the trailer? I thought I clicked on the movie. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? But no, it's the movie. The movie just starts like that. And it's insane, and it's amazing. If you were in theaters... Like people who get seizures should not watch this movie. <laughs> just for that. It's really just that scene, opening. though. But but yeah. I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. It's it is just that scene. It, other movies, I would not recommend anyone with who are prone to seizures watching. Um, the Rise of Skywalker, Halloween, <laughs> The Curse of Michael Myers, the edit in which Paul Rudd beats Michael Myers to death with a lead pipe that is like edited really weird, I remember. That's that's the inferior edit of the film anyways, if we're being perfectly honest. Neither film's good, but 
yeah, once you see Paul Rudd going to town on Michael Myers with a lead pipe, and it's just like insane editing. It's like, uh. yeah, so this movie. <laughs> so what do we got? We've got, this is a Yakuza film, which the Yakuza, of course, is like the Japanese mafia. And we basically got three groups of characters here. We've got Ryuichi, who's Ricky Takuchi. He's got his gang of people, which includes, I mean, he's not a member of the gang, but he's also got his younger brother, who has been studying in the United States. We've got Cops, which is mainly Detective Jojima, who is Shoakawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also got a partner. And then he's he's got a little bit of his family stuff back home, which is, you know, it's important. I don't think we're going to dwell too much on it. but And then we've also got, like, the, the big-time gang guys. And so we've got Aoki, who's the Yakuza boss, who has some ties to Jojima. And then we've also got Chen, who is the Chinese triad boss, right? So those are like all our main players here. Yeah. So yeah, we've got this, so the the Yakuza. They're trying to arrange some kind of deal with the triads, but meanwhile, Ryuichi's gang is basically just there to fuck things up. Like they, they don't really <laughs> have too clear of goals other than they just want to mess with people like um, their first big thing that they do is they steal a bunch of money from the yakuza and they do it in a really fun scene where it all starts with there's a uh, one of the gang members is like pretending to be a bum who's like drunk on the street who then just starts kicking the shit out of all these like uh, uh all these guys all these armed guys and then they run off with the money and then he runs off with the money that he doesn't give to his gang members. There's just, like, a lot of stuff going on. But, yeah, so basically, to sum up the plot rather quickly, the whole thing is um, Ryuichi wants to take on the Yakuza's, but his brother, his his younger brother Toji, doesn't approve of his leading a life of violence, so he doesn't want him to do this. He just, again, wants to go to school. And then Detective Jojima investigates, like, this first initial robbery. But the reason he has to, like, investigate it is is because he's in debt with Aoki because Aoki has given him money for, like, his—was it a son or daughter? I can't remember. But his kid needed an uh, operation. Daughter? I think it's a daughter, right? Yeah. I can't—I just saw the movie. And I yeah, I think so, There's yeah. a lot of characters here, okay? <laughs> um, so that's kind of what's going on, and— it eventually we get some human drama i think i mean i mean i i I think i'm speaking for both of us when i say like that opening scene you kind of expect the movie to just be off the rails the entire time and never really slow down and just always be really fast-paced and action-packed and in honestly it is i don't want to say the movie's you know painfully slow or anything but the movie is a lot quieter than you're led to believe it will be and you do have these scenes of human drama with um, with Toji and Ryuichi and then even the other members of Ryuichi's gang who all discuss, like, what they want to do once they can get out of their gang crime life. Like, you have a Hitoshi who steals, who steals the money that they steal in the robbery, but he doesn't bring it to Ryuichi. He, he instead takes it to his mom, and he tries to move her back to China. Which, which is another thing, too, yeah. that, um, and I don't know how much of this is clear to me, but I guess 
Ryuichi and his gang, they're all like, what was it? Wikipedia said they were, what, what word did they list? They're all Nikkei, N-I-K-K-E-I. I don't yeah. know how to pronounce that, but I'm looking that up. That is apparently the Japanese diaspora. So these are people that were probably, they're ethnically Japanese, but they also have ties to other places like, you know, China or Thailand or wherever. And so they're kind of seen as foreigners, which partially explains their life of crime, I guess you could say. Yeah, and, and their want to go back to their respective countries, I guess. Yeah. Because that was something well, well, that kind of confused me throughout the movie. I was like, but they're not, I was, but you're not Chinese. Why do you want to go back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't, that's something that, that's just like a cultural barrier where that wasn't really clear to me watching. But I think like the first time it really like struck me was actually kind of later in the movie when Ryuichi goes and visits his younger brother at the university campus and they're talking and he says something like because he's talking about wanting to go to the United States and or because he has studied there and stuff and he says like not every minority is a gang member there and i'm thinking like is he talking about them or is he talking about like mm-hmm. japanese perception of american minorities and uh, like i thought maybe he was talking he was talking <laughs> about that but no he is talking about them because they are seen as minorities here even though it wasn't really apparent to me yeah, you know, I, I think there's like a lot of things in this movie that are kind of lost in our cultural differences. Yeah. And it made it a little confused. Like, I, to be honest, I couldn't even pick out one <laughs> specific thing other than that, but it made the movie a little confusing. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say right here, the ending, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> that was. I, I don't know if, if, if that's a cultural barrier, but I have no idea what happened. I, I'm wondering if it's like... Um, if it was meant to be more comedic or even like symbolic of something, I like I yeah I, I have definitely no... comedic, possibly symbolic, but definitely comedic. I would say, but I still I don't I what I what what is that? Like the movie in the last m- couple minutes becomes a parody, and it's very weird. And there are moments of comedy throughout this movie, but it's never like a. I mean, it's a it's relatively it's, it's serious never ridiculous. Film. Right, you know yeah. I mean, I mean when a guy pulls his own arm off at the end, it's like, okay, we're we're, <laughs> we're doing something a little different than we what we've been doing here. But there's like a little bit of comedy. Yeah, early, it's like, like um, the movie suddenly became a live action anime. Yeah, but there is a, like a little bit of comedy early on. Like for instance, it's towards the end of the opening scene, but the one guy who's eating a bunch of noodles when he gets shot, like he gets shot through the stomach and the noodles come out of him and that's and then uh when jojima's on the scene yeah. like, he identifies what kind of noodles they are and then that's how he figures that this is a chinese gang or something like that's a that's a comedy moment there <laughs> yeah yeah i like that that was actually really i really like that <laughs> but i'll tell you what it's not comedic to see someone drown in their own shit at least not in this movie because we got to talk about that scene <laughs> that scene reminded me of the eating puke scene from audition audition yeah that that is the that's the biggest tell that this is by the same director i guess is is probably how i would put that it's weird that like throughout the movie you get like weird depraved things happening but it takes you mm-hmm. a second to realize that it's happening you know like yeah with the shit stuff it, it took you a, it took me a second i was like oh my god that's that's yeah, shit because at first you're <laughs> like what's going on yeah <laughs> yeah and then there's the other scene 
where, oh, I forget who was in it. Was it the detective? He walks up and there's this dude. He's like jerking off a dog so that this dog can bang this woman so that they can film it. As one does. Yeah. And I, but like, you don't, like I did, like the subtitles come up on the screen and it was like, jerk that dog off. Yeah, and I was yeah. Like, Wait, yeah. There's some there's some shocking <laughs> things in the subtitles that I, that I have not seen in subtitles before. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is. I'll just say it here. This is. I think this is a good movie. I think this is a movie that that is worth watching. However, of all of the movies we've done, at least of all of the good movies we've done, you know, I'll exclude something like Spookies or. Uh, screwballs which you know you and i wouldn't recommend those movies to anybody but like (laughs) of all the good movies i think this is the one i'd probably have the hardest time recommending to anybody because it is so out there and it's so it's abrasive and the ending and all the craziness the drowning in one's own shit and it's like yeah it's it's not an easy movie to recommend you don't you don't go up to someone and say like, "Oh, you love action movies. You would love this movie." And then they're like watching it and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a hard movie to recommend. It's a hard movie to like. It's a very, I think it's a very specific audience, and and it's like because I'm thinking even like audition, like audition goes to incredible territory eventually. But I can see someone watching that because it's like. I, one, I think it's a better movie than this, so I think it's just worth watching because of how well done it is. But it's like this great character piece, and I love the way it like switches genres in a really creative way. This movie kind of switches genres like in the last minute in a way that you know I'm still not really sure how I feel about it. But I don't know. I, I just think this is a very difficult movie. I mean, it's a difficult movie to talk about. It's a difficult movie to just... Um, yeah, to recommend to someone. I don't know. What did you think of it? <laughs> well, it's also a difficult movie. Well, you know, as as always, Patrick, I, I tend to agree with you, and uh, I'm agreeing with you on this. But it's also difficult because there's just so much going on that it's almost hard to follow at times. There are so many, like, side things going on with different characters and different characters' families. It's just like... And again, comparing it to Audition where audition is a pretty straightforward story that veers yes, off audition, into I mean, if nothing genres. else, audition has like four characters, basically. There's a lot yeah. of characters in this movie. And there's just a lot of stuff. Well, for me, anyways, there's a lot of stuff to keep track of. And sometimes it was moving so fast, I would have to like rewind and like <laughs> rewatch like two minutes. And I'm like, oh, that's what happened. I get it. I would recommend this movie to people that, like you or you or I know who are open to watching all kinds of movies, who are just yeah. interested to watch films from different cultures, time periods, whatever. Right. But I would not recommend this movie to like a relative who's like, Oh yeah, I like movies. No, I watch yeah, this Marvel, is this is you know? <laughs> This is not a um there's something in the old like uh red letter media half in the bag videos like i think they say this on, on like the first couple of them like it's been years since they've probably brought this up but they talk about like now this isn't a movie i'd recommend to grandma or something yeah. like that and like, I, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like become my way of like okay reanimator great movie but it's not a movie for grandma you know and it's like yeah dead or alive no not a movie for grandma <laughs> no. i'll just say that you know <laughs> um goldfinger maybe grandma could enjoy goldfinger yeah, Graham would be like, oh, that Sean Connery. 
Oh, I'd love that toupee. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Jet Black. Uh, yeah, this is a movie I would have a hard time recommending to, like, good friends of mine who I know like watching movies because I don't know what they would get out of it. You know what I mean? That's fair. That's very fair. And, and now this also comes back to, I've joked about this in the past when we've covered Japanese films on this podcast, which so far has just been Takashi Miike and Godzilla movies. That's all it's been. But I've joked about how <laughs> my limited knowledge of Japanese cinema is basically all Japanese films either feature a giant rubber monster, you know, someone in a rubber monster costume, or mm-hmm. features the most fucked up and sadistic, messed up stuff you've ever seen. This is obviously the latter. <laughs> Again, I, I'm not, I've, I've never seen like any of the um, Studio Ghibli movies, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't watched any anime whatsoever so it's like i know i know deep down in my brain that japanese cinema is is is, has a lot more to it than just what i've seen but but what i've seen has been godzilla movies gamera movies takashi Miike movies and movies like tokyo gore police you know it's like it's stuff like that i guess i've seen like ringu and there's a few other like horror movies there's a few but that's pretty much it yeah that even said, I love I love Japanese cinema for what it is. I I still love Takashi Miike, but we got to talk about the ending scene. You know, because I I I, I, I yeah, want to. Uh... You're a soundboard here. I just I want to bounce this off of you because I don't know what to make of it. You referenced something when I mentioned it earlier. I don't know if it was an anime thing or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, well, like I guess I guess you explain what happens, and then I'll tell you okay. what I was saying earlier. All right. Yes. Yeah, so. Well, first of all, there's there's an awesome action scene at this Yakuza banquet thing oh, where it's, it's Ryuichi and his gang comes in and kills everybody. There's just guns. You know, there's so many squibs. There's a guy in, like, a bird costume that gets shot up, so there's, like, fake feathers flying around, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Incredible scene, incredibly violent, awesome stuff. But Chen, the Chinese triad leader, takes his new gifted sword and comes at... Ryuichi, who uh, is saved because Ryuichi's brother has shown up, even though he kind of showed up there just to stop everything. He didn't really want to kill anyone because he, yeah. he's not a gang member. But after that, then Jojuma's partner shows up and he gets shot again dozens of times, but he's able to get one <laughs> shot off and he kills Toji. Toji's the brother. So yeah. Ryuichi wants revenge. And even though Jojima's partner is dead, he decides to put a bomb in Jojima's car, but he doesn't realize that Jojima sends his family away, so it's actually his wife and kid that get in the car, so they die. And then it's like, okay, these two people friggin' hate each other now at this point. And that's <laughs> so we get to our climax, which is in this like field where there's like a dirt road going through a field, and there's these two cars. It's Jojima in his, and then it's Ryuichi with two of his men in theirs. And they have like a like a thing of chicken, right, where they drive at each other and they have to swerve. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Ryuichi's car crashes, but everyone gets out. And then Jojima is charging at them. One of Ryuichi's men basically suicide bombs the car. He jumps through the windshield with a grenade, and the car blows up. And in my favorite shot of the movie, there's like a shot from behind 
Ryuichi's back, and they like they like look to see what's going on, and then there's no car in front of them, and then the car just like <laughs> falls from above. It's a really yeah, really great. cool shot. That's kind of funny. So then they they like go to look at like okay what's going on, and it appears the guy who suicide bombed the car is dead, which obviously. But then Jojima shoots Ryuichi's man and kills him. So then it's just these the two of them. Jojima gets out of his car. He can't put his arm in place. His arm is like stuck. It's broken. So he just rips it off. And it's just like a geyser of blood coming out of it. Yeah. And this is like a classic Western standoff. I, even, I, I got a Western vibe even just when the cars showed up. Even before they're having this true standoff, this feels like a like an old Western, like a spaghetti Western kind of thing. But then the two of them, they shoot each other like a, a dozen times each. They're all just like, there's, again, so many squibs and everything. But then Jojima pulls out a bazooka, which was, I guess, strapped to his back. You know, he basically just manifests <laughs> yeah. this bazooka. And then <laughs> how would we describe what Ryuichi does here? He Is it a well, Hadouken? Well, I... I would describe it as doing like a Kamehameha from Dragon Ball or like a Hadouken, a Rasengan from Naruto. I don't know what that is, but uh, there's <laughs> a bit like of a, a Palantir quality. Like a fire Rasengan. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like the Palantir when, uh, when does, um... yeah, Sauron's going to start talking to people. <laughs> Anyways, it's just this ball of energy and he throws it and it's coming at Jojima. So Jojima fires his bazooka and it hits the ball of energy, and then there's an explosion. The field is engulfed, and then we see this like beautiful little like early internet view of the Earth, like the rendering of the Earth. And then we see that Japan goes up in like a mushroom cloud, basically. <laughs> and that's yeah, the all fucking of end of the movie. <laughs> that is how it ends. So I think it's safe to say, yeah, even if you didn't know this, yeah, the the sequel to this movie, not really a sequel. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's kind of like the Cornetto trilogy, right? As we're yeah, it, speaking, the Cornetto trilogy, the Dollars trilogy. Yeah, there's a lot of trilogies like that, or trilogy series, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. So what I was referencing was Patrick. You don't know this, but now I'm super into anime. I'm oh, trying not God. to be because oh, I don't want to be that God. person. But I oh, watched, <laughs> I watched all of Naruto and Naruto uh, Shippuden. So combined, there's almost a thousand episodes. I oh watched all of them, audience, and even all the filler episodes, and it was amazing. I Wait, you haven't it, even watched Frasier like yet, that. have like, you? Why are you watching this, this movie, shit? I've watched Frasier. I've seen Frasier. Have you? All of it? Okay. I no, mean, not all of it. Uh, there but... we go. You've watched a thousand <laughs> episodes of this crap, but you can't watch a couple, a couple hundred of Frasier? <laughs> you take that back. Naruto's great. It's great. But now I'm also watching Attack on Titan, which is terrifying, which made me think about this a lot, or which okay. reminded me of, this reminded me of Attack on Titan a lot. Yeah, my point was, the end of the movie turns into an anime. In the last minute, as you've said already, it, it just, it ups itself, but continuously, like, one-ups itself, like, every 10 seconds for the last minute, until all of Japan explodes. Now, is there, I mean, you, you mentioned, is, is there something symbolic there? There might be. I don't know. There's definitely something humorous <laughs> just in that in this scene in itself. What are you laughing at? 
Well, I like I like how you're like, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, because I don't know, because it could be something completely lost on me. Yeah. Because I'm missing context for a lot of things in this movie. I don't know, but like the ending, it's it's almost like a, I don't know, it's almost like, is it a commentary on, but e- even if, if there is like a, a message there, symbolism or, or just satire or whatever like what 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 are they sending up is it japanese culture is it the is it film is it the action genre i don't know it could be like 15 different things and my brain just doesn't know what to do with that ending so right now i'll just say i don't like the ending i think the film has the best opening scene ever and maybe the worst final scene ever (laughs) it's weird it's a weird film you might be right with that you might be right with that because I just, I don't know why. why. Just why, you know? And even if it is symbolic of something, why not just have them both use weapons? Not one guy have, like, a fireball yeah, in his it, hand, d- you know? He could, they could have both fired bazookas, and I would have, like, that would have been fine, you know? Because yeah. cause it's, like it's like a comedic thing that Judgment even has a bazooka with him, let alone, you know, that you couldn't see it, that it was strapped to his back. But, like, why, why can't... <laughs> Ryuichi also have a bazooka or something. But then I guess it wouldn't blow up all of Japan, so who knows. But I don't know if blowing up all of Japan was necessary for the story is what I'm saying. But it's a confusing scene. <laughs> oh, I really? will say, <laughs> a few years ago, I know I've mentioned this movie before, but Takashi Miike made a movie called First Love, which is an outstanding film. It came out, I think, in 2019. It came out in, like, 2020 in most of the world got like a valentine's day release in the uk i was in the uk at the time which i am now by the way there was a scene in that movie that reminded me of this scene here because there's a scene where there's like the main characters are trying to escape they're in their car and they come to a place they're in like a they're like up high in a parking garage and there is no logical way where they can escape so the film just kind of like cuts to like a (laughs) cartoon animation of them driving off the ramp and just like flying for several hundred feet and I remember watching that and I'm like that was the really one part in that movie that I didn't really like but I'm like oh maybe that's just like his thing you know Takashi Miike's thing if he gets to a point where there's no realist realistic answers for something to happen I don't know if I want to call it magical realism but like he just doesn't care if, if if fantasy emerges in his work, I guess. You know, I, I don't know how else to put it, but like, okay, whatever. And I mean, it, it's funny, though, because there's so many scenes in Dead or Alive that, I mean, because you might be right with that, because there are so many scenes in it that look magical, but not in like a nice way, if that makes sense. Like the graveyard where... Um, oh, yeah, the graveyard being like this... Um, Reminded me of like, uh, reminded me of Sandy Cove in Ireland. It's just like a dreary place where it's just like it was almost like you could only get there on low tide. That's what it looked like. Yeah, I was gonna say it reminded me of the of the mud flats in uh, in Mad Max. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you think of this movie overall, Jim? It's a little confusing. <laughs> the- <laughs> Uh, it's certainly depraved. I'm not saying Takashi Miike is is depraved, but the film. No, that there's he made, there's an art, you know, like there's a separate the art. There's from an the art in, here, in that know. depravity. Right. Yeah. No, but there's but it's like what's his face? But um, uh, not just, Botticelli, but who was who was the the weirdo? Well, I guess Goya. Like he he painted some depraved shit. Yeah, like, Goya. Is he an awful person? I don't know. 
Well, I didn't like his art. I can tell you that. Well, that's you. But um, <laughs> no, who is the other guy? The the medieval guy. Well, whoever painted Jupiter devour or what is it? Saturn? No, Jupiter devouring. That, his that's sons. Goya. Was that Goya? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there is art in the, in the depravity, but sometimes it's just like it's a little too much, like that shit pool, like just stuff like that, or. It kind of, like the, the whole movie kind of reminded me of uh, oh shit what's that French director's name who makes weird movies Aja Aha Alexander <laughs> who made uh, uh, fuck what's the name of the movie When you say weird movies are we talking normal weird or like weird weird we, like weird are we talking weird. high uh, tension or are we talking is one you know, called French New Wave Irreversible Oh that guy oh that fucking prick what was that guy's name Yeah you know who I'm I talking hate that about. guy um yeah yeah he made yeah. irreversible climax love no way isn't it no way gaspar no way no no yeah, i think no it's no way. way i think no it's gaspar no way but yeah like but yeah like this this movie reminded me of like something gaspar no way would make but okay it seems like there's more i don't, I don't want to shit on him because i think some of his movies are interesting but it seems like there's more intelligence behind the lens with like coming from Takashi Amike, but knowing that, I'm not entirely sure what I was supposed to get out of all of the depravity. You know what I mean? Okay, that's I understood fair. the story. I understood the characters. I mean, that's that is how I. I'll, I'll admit that's how I felt watching Irreversible. Like I like, I'm like yeah. impressed by some of the filmmaking, <laughs> yeah. but I'm so put off by everything that I'm not really sure what what to get out of it. You know, that's that's how I felt with that. Exactly. But no, I mean, you know, I I understood the story of this movie. I just didn't understand a lot of the <laughs> director's decisions i guess sure yeah and i i will say like there's something the way takashi Mike frames a lot of his shots there's almost like a very like art house or like indie filmmaker kind of aesthetic because he has like lots of these shots that are just like kind of long and static and no one's really that close to the camera and i'm just thinking like all these shots like when they're on the rooftops or even the scene where hitoshi goes home to his to his uh, mother and it's just mm-hmm. like these flat shots that are like where there's just very little happening in the shot and someone will say something and it, they're, they're like long takes of just like dialogue and I'm like this is such like an art house or an indie way to film a movie and, and like nowadays when you see that style it's usually in like one of those indie dramedies where people sit in a bathtub and like talk about all that they've learned throughout the movie but like I like seeing that style here in a movie that also features someone getting noodles shot out of their stomach. Like there's there's contrast almost in the style <laughs> where there's this a little bit of the yeah the, you know the the high intensity action. It's not as great as well choreographed as like a it's the guy that did Face Off and like the Killer that Hong Kong guy. Oh um, um he, uh, yeah I, I know who you're talking about but yes. Yeah, but there's a little bit almost of that, like, gun-fu style. But there's also, like, some kind of thoughtful drama here. And I, I kind of appreciate the mixture of those two. I agree it doesn't work perfectly. But you know what it does do, though? What it does do is that like you get a little stressed out from all these action scenes where the camera is just cutting or moving and people are moving and there's <laughs> noises and lights and all kinds of action happening on the screen. But then you get to like this human drama and it's nice and slow and you can just kind of soak mm-hmm. it in. You can also kind of relax, but you're also not entirely relaxed because all of the human drama in the movie is like sad. 
So, you know, okay. so you're just depressed. And then you got to cut straight back to like crazy gun fu shit, you know? <laughs> okay. And I also will say, because you mentioned the editing there, because you also mentioned Gaspar Noé, I will say that this movie is not edited nearly as obnoxiously as a Gaspar Noé film. I fucking hate I agree. that he always does these things where there's just black frames when he edits from one shot to another or sometimes even within the shot. I hate that. I don't know why he does it. I noticed, <laughs> first noticed it when I watched Love, and I'm like, this is the worst editing, most obnoxious editing technique I've ever seen. And then he has it all over Climax, too. I'll say this, like, Takashi Miike does weird things, but he never pisses me. He doesn't have things in his very unique style that piss me off. So I just greatly prefer him to someone like Gaspar Noé, who maybe there isn't that much of a connection between those two, but I'm just like, you know, I don't know. So, Jim, which of these two movies do you prefer? I'm going to have to say I prefer Goldfinger. Okay. But that Dead or Alive was a really neat foray into Japanese cinema and I can honestly say it's something I have never seen before nor sure. I, nor will I see anything like it for a long time I don't think okay yeah how about you yeah it's Goldfinger e- easily because I, I had seen Dead or Alive before and I will say that even watching it here though I still like it I didn't like it as much as I remembered it and Goldfinger I actually liked more than I remembered liking it in the past but I don't think it's that close for me. I think Goldfinger is just a very, very good movie that I don't have an awful lot of complaints about. Most of the complaints are just how it's aged here and there, you know. But it's a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, now, how would you rate them as a double feature? So we're talking drive-in double feature. Okay, we've got two great drive-in movies here, I think. Goldfinger is the most drive-in worthy of the three of the first three James Bond movies we've had, just in terms of the pacing, you know, For the sure. car blowing up and starting on fire in midair is awesome. <laughs> like, it's just great stuff there. Dead or Alive, completely batshit insane film that, you know, it's it's like kind of, maybe this is just Takashi Miike in general, but it's like kind of, it, 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 it combines like drive-in and art house, you know? It's like a, if you could have like a drive-in art house cinema, you know, okay, yeah. <laughs> Takashi Miike movies would be showing every night there because there is like the weird kind of artistic touch and not just because it's a foreign film because and anyone can be distracted into thinking a movie is more artful or intelligent or well done than it is because they have to read subtitles. I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about just his skills as a filmmaker. But yeah, I think the two movies are very, very different. They're completely different depictions or or different examples of what you can do within the action genre but i think they're really fun as that because Mm -hmm. the first one more adventure more classic action you know some gadgets the second one you know kind of gun (laughs) gun fu more or i shouldn't say the movie's more fast-paced but the action when we have it is more fast-paced and quick cut and violent super violent i'm gonna say these movies work well together Jim, you already kind of hinted at your answer, but give it to me straight here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you took the words out of my mouth. That's what I would have said. Is that a meatloaf reference? No. Poor meatloaf. Rest in peace. But no, it's... Yeah, rest in peace. My loaf of meat. I agree. I didn't expect... When I saw that these two movies came up together for uh, for our double feature, I thought, oh, fuck. (laughs) I thought, there's no way. 
there's no way these two are going to work well together. And it turns out. Well, you didn't know what the hell Dead or Alive was, too. I I think I even told you you just like you'll you'll know if you're watching the right movie because is it insane in the first 30 seconds or not? Because that's (laughs) like really how you know. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of nice because and I watched them. Did you watch them in 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 our drive in order? I did. I didn't watch them. I did not watch them back to back. Them. I, I've, I've currently. When we're recording this, I have COVID, so my sleep schedule has been really weird. So I like woke up at two in the morning, and that's when I watched Goldfinger, and then I fell back asleep, and then I watched Dead or Alive later in the day. <laughs> yeah. So like two or three days ago, I watched Goldfinger, and then I watched Dead or Alive right after, and then I watched. And actually, I took a, like a twenty minute break, and then I watched Dead or Alive again. Uh, yeah, I think it works like really well because you do have that kind of classic camp, tongue-in-cheek, secret agent-y gadget and like action stuff from James Bond. And it is exciting in its own way. And yeah. then you just jump into like this kind of, I guess, like new age action. Bond is like classical action. Then you get new age action. And that's what this was. That's what Dead mm-hmm. or Alive was, and it just exploded onto the screen. So James Bond ends where he's banging pussy galore under a parachute, and you get the great Goldfinger theme, and then I cut immediately to, like, rock and roll music <laughs> and a crazy seven minutes of, like, quick cuts. And a mannequin and just crazy being shit thrown off of the roof of a skyscraper. Yeah, yeah, like, and it was just great. It led into it so perfectly, and I genuinely think this might be my favorite pairing that we've come up with wow doing this podcast so far that's high praise from someone who is begrudgingly i think perhaps becoming more and more accepting of our double feature pairings i feel like unless we've just had a good luck of the draw but i feel like you're coming around on these uh double features a bit more (laughs) i am i really am but let's see if that streak continues next week when we do we're, we're doing our first movie from the 40s we're doing it's also our first universal monsters sequel we are doing the invisible man returns starring vincent price and we are doing the long anticipated slave girls from beyond infinity from 1987 <laughs> from producer charles band starring elizabeth caton and the great brink stevens I've hinted at it before. I, I think it came up first in the King Kong episode, and I mentioned it a few times because you didn't believe that it was a real <laughs> movie title. But it no, is. I didn't. <laughs> well, you're gonna you're gonna find out. So, the Invisible Man returns. Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. Slave Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity is streaming on Full Moon. If you happen to have that, which yeah, maybe I'm the only one on Earth. I get it. Uh, it you might have some luck with it on Tubi, maybe because a lot of Full Moon movies end up on Tubi or Prime, but look for those there. Invisible Man Returns, maybe on Peacock. That might be the, that's probably the most likely streaming service you'd find that on. Be sure to check out those movies and tune in next week as we discuss them. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Drive In Podcast. We have an Instagram now at Revenge of the Drive In. And check out our Patreon for commentary tracks and early access to episodes and trailers. That's patreon.com slash revenge of the drive. And Jim, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Patrick, thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you next time, folks. Take it easy, everybody.